be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about this show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is learning that drives enterprise performance. And our guests for today's show are Dr. Gus Crusetto, who is the Chief Learning Officer with U.S. Government Accountability Office. Good morning, Gus. How are you? Uh, good morning, Sanjo. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, the honor is all ours. So, so the work, the business, the life, the government, how is everything going? Uh, it's going well. Um, I think that um, as, as, as we were talking earlier, the uh, the uh, government is really taking a new approach to learning, and I think overall sharing information and uh, sharing resources, I think, is is I mean, dictating the uh, the path that we're on right now. So it, it's good. Great, and we also have Linda Gordy, who is the David M. and Barbara A. Kirk Professor of Organizational Behavior and Theory at Carnegie Mellon at the Tepper School of Business. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Sanjo. Thanks for inviting us. Definitely. The pleasure is all ours. Now, uh, based on your background, you've lived your life around learning and organizational behavior. How do you see the world around you changing? Well, I think there's increasing appreciation that not only do individuals learn, organizations can also learn, or some of them fail to learn, uh, and understanding the difference between those two, why some organizations are better at learning than others, is a source of competitive advantage for firms. So, now, question for you. Let's start with you, Gus. Uh, we've always seen organizations, especially the ones which are mid to large size organizations, perhaps sometimes even small, they do see the importance, it seems, uh, about learning and training, etc. And that's why they invest in it. Uh, maybe somebody says, I want to learn a new technology or a new skill, so they send them for their training, and perhaps they have uh, some sort of uh, department and investment made. However, it has not really seemed to be as strategic in the way uh, and as critical to an organizational growth. At least that's not the sign that we see out there for the most part. Do you think there is a reason behind it? Perhaps it's not as critical? Uh, I've seen that as well, but I have to say I have been quite lucky uh, in the last two organizations, the one I'm currently at and before, uh, GAO and uh, General Electric, uh, I've seen a uh, tie between the mission-critical activities and learning, and that's a growing trend, in, at least in these two organizations. Uh, I think that can, it's also extensive uh, to the federal government. GAO has made a, a significant investment in learning, um, and uh, you know, we have an extensive operation here in Washington, D.C., but we also have uh, regional offices where we have learning hubs. 
and uh, overall our um although there has been significant budget cuts um our overall our our uh, investment and the commitment to learning and development both individual learning and uh, group and organizational learning has been has been uh, very active now based on what you just said uh, linda and your experience do you think organizations are showing signs of investment by just putting money in there or actually are able to use that wisely so that there is an actual output which essentially justifies or gives you the roi that you're looking for because people may throw money at something but that doesn't mean that you're going to get success out of it right i think it's critical just spending the money or having the experience doesn't necessarily guarantee good outcomes, and what we're seeing is firms, as Gus mentioned, putting more effort into how do they design their experiences so that they can learn from them. Uh, they're thinking about internally what they can do to promote learning at the individual level, whether it's training, apprenticeship programs, mentoring, at the group level, opportunities to work together, uh, after action reviews to reflect on the learning and see what they've learned from the experience to improve future performance. Uh, the military has had enormous success, for example, with after-action reviews uh, that enable them in very fast, real time to uh, learn from an engagement and then put those learnings into the organization so that uh, future uh, efforts benefit from them. Gus, uh, whenever we have seen organizations making investments, or we as an individual making investments into something, we really want to touch and feel and see a quantifiable result. Do you think investment in learning, in organizational learning or individual level learning, is showing us those results and, and, we, and first of all, is it measurable to the degree where it is really quantifiable? And if yes, what kind of results are we seeing? Well, I've, I've seen uh, results all over the board. Uh, in, in, in our case, the GAO, I think we have seen are seeing significant results, but the key to it is the governance of the learning uh, infrastructure and the learning organization as, as a whole. Uh, uh, we had for a number of years now a learning board composed of the major uh, lines of business uh, that we have here at GAO or uh, teams that address different areas of uh, audit issues in the federal government. Uh, they're represented in the learning board as well as our executive committee, which is uh, chaired by our controller general. So uh, the, when it comes to investment decisions as well as uh, trade-offs, uh, it goes all the way up to the top. Something to consider is the scale. Our agency is relatively small compared to others in the federal government. Uh, we are only 3,000 employees. Uh, so it, it's easy to implement, um, you know, such a learning board with, you know, far reaching down in the, uh, in the more tactical areas. Um, I, I'm aware that that's not possible uh, in, in larger agencies, but, um, you know, it can be implemented in a, in a focus, in a focuses areas. Linda, what would be a good example of metrics related to organizational learning? What is it that the organization should actually strive to achieve, and how do you put in uh, a structure so that when the results are, uh, you know, basically you've made the investment and learning is happening, there are probes out there literally which are pulling the data out and then putting it on a metric so that it's it's actionable. You know, whatever you get as a result, it's not something that you can put and print it and fill it in somewhere. You get some value out of it, and you can put that as a constructive feedback into making the organization better. So what is what is it? Is, is it too esoteric for it to be a standard across the board? Uh, no, I think you've indicated a very important 
point, if firms are going to invest in this, they want to be able to measure it and see the outcomes improved. I would say the three metrics that I see used across a wide range of firms are, one, time saved. Can you do your task faster? Maybe you're able to um, contact another employee through a data management system or one that you've learned uh, through uh, previous experience working together to answer a question or solve a problem for you so people are able to do their tasks faster. Uh, the second indicator would be they're able to do them at higher quality, fewer errors, fewer defects, uh, and then the third, lower cost. So we see effects on these indicators across a wide range of organizations. Uh, the ones that's most critical will depend to some extent on the type of work the organization's doing, but most organizations are concerned about improving quality, driving down cost, uh, reducing time, improving timeliness. Now, all these measures that you just mentioned, I mean, if you were to start looking at a piece of paper which has got some numbers next to it, what kind of numbers should we expect to be there for it to tell us whether we are going higher or lower? Are you able to directly pinpoint that this training resulted in X number of improvement in shareholder value or in performance or productivity improvement as a percentage? Right. We typically want to look at, uh, because learning is associated with experience, as organizations gain experience, uh, do they get better? Do they reduce costs? Do they improve timeliness? Do they improve quality? So we typically want to look at how these metrics change as a function of experience um, and then what the organization does to accelerate that, is, as Gus was talking about, whether it's a learning board at the strategic level or at a more uh, operational level, perhaps after action review or a meeting to reflect on what's learned. would want to see those indicators improving with experience. Gus, in your world, I'm definitely sure that you have to go and present your budget to see that what kind of learning initiatives you'd like to put in place and what have been the results based on the investments made so far. So when you do take that sheet of paper or perhaps a report to them, what do you bring the, the executive management's attention to, to say, hey, look, they did this, we got this result, so I'm making a business case that I need more or at least equal amounts of funding to be able to carry out this initiative. Right. Uh, well, I agree with Linda's uh, three key measures as uh, key learning indicators and that have a direct effect on overall business results. But uh, here at GAO and both at, uh, at GE and other companies I work for, I've always tried to tie the um, learning to uh, human capital management and human capital development. And the tie-in is in the performance appraisal systems or talent management and through individual development plans. So uh, if there's a good alignment between the learning activities as measured by those key performance indicators that Linda talked about, and there's a tie-in to the performance appraisal system that can assess overall business results, uh, I think that uh, either a learning board or a committee that oversees uh, investments in learning and development will have no, no e problems uh, recognizing what that value of learning is to the mission of the organization. Now, let me take this example. In fact, we're going to do a show in the next couple of weeks where we are going to be looking at the skill gaps that are getting introduced, say, in IT, just taking an example, because of all the different technologies, et cetera, are coming up. And the companies are trying to play catch-up. Now, if the chief learning officer is invited to say, 
help me in this regard. Otherwise, we will be playing catch up and we'll fall behind the computation, etc. Now you're no longer doing learning for the sake of incremental improvement, whatever comes our way. You're working towards a strategic initiative, which will make or break an organization. How would you approach it? Linda, what do you think the approach should be in this case? Well, I think the first decision to make would be whether you want to develop the capabilities internally to your organization or whether you want to uh, enter into a relationship with another organization, whether it's a joint venture or a strategic alliance, to uh, that they may have the capability and you want to combine your capability with theirs to uh, produce a new breakthrough innovation, a new uh, breakthrough uh, idea. So that would be the first decision to make. And what after that? Uh, then after that, the work on developing um, internal learning, we, we've talked about in terms of uh, ways of interpreting experience to learn better how to produce products, how to uh, serve customers, uh, the external learning, the uh, an example of a successful joint venture, I think, that comes to mind is uh, the Toyota GM NUMI plant that went into operation in Fremont, California in the 1980s. Uh, Toyota wanted to learn about doing business in the United States. Uh, GM wanted to learn about the Toyota production system. Uh, so they both came together with different learning goals, but they centered around this new plant. Um, this joint venture was very successful. Uh, the quality and productivity uh, were among the best in the U.S. for, oh, 20 or so years after it had been introduced. So, so thinking of the strategic partner that has the capability that you would like to uh, to add to enable you to either innovate better or to produce better. So, Gus, do you think today uh, organizational or enterprise-level learning is more of a push or a pull? Are people craving for more and they are knocking at your door? Or you are suppose, you are essentially going out and saying, hey, I've got an opportunity for you to get better. What's so, happening? That, that's where the difference between training and learning comes along. If uh, training being what we do onto people so that they can do their jobs as opposed to learning is what people seek as as knowledge, skills, and abilities, you know, to be better in their careers, better in their jobs, and, and, and increase their performance. Uh, so I think it's both a push and a pull. There's some transactional learning that needs to be pushed into the organization for basic skills, and then there's a transformational learning that the organization needs to put in place, you know, to enable people to either get along with the changes that are happening in, in, in the business uh, or uh, new technology, influx, new people, new leadership. So I, I think it's both a push and a pull. Um, you know, picking up on the, the previous question about the um, skill aspects of IT, uh, assuming that it's an internal IT uh, project and we're not going to do anything with um, external consultants or or sharing with other, other companies, uh, I think that it's critical to have a good understanding of the job families and the roles that the IT uh, is willing to play in the implementation of that project and have a strong uh, competency model that learning, internal learning, can um, support in accomplishment of that particular IT project. See, now, when you, when you use the term to explain the boundaries of a learning, 
in respect to the, the situation that I shared in terms of IT, you took the, the, the term project as a baseline or a peg. But here, what's happening, the reality is that the technology is changing, the business paradigms are changing, people's expectation is changing, and so you to, and there's a lot of innovation happening. What you use as technology paradigm and or a tool six months ago is somehow becoming dated already. So we could totally go nuts trying to keep up with or get better at what the technology is when something else comes along. So what do you do in such a situation where IT is, is expected to deliver yesterday and not having the capability? And then all, there's always a scale gap, and for that matter, it could keep getting widened if you don't put your right uh, pieces in place and put the learning as the most crucial aspect of running your business. Right. If the organization has a culture that embraces learning as a strategic element of accomplishing their mission, uh, I think it's going to be easier for um, the the learning organization to affect, uh, in this case, the particular IT initiative, uh, because the mechanisms and the infrastructure will be in place to do so, then if learning is an afterthought and they're called to the table just to implement uh, what I would call transactional training on, on commercial off-the-shelf products, uh, I, I, I think that a learning organization would um, uh, incorporate learning as part of the strategic planning and make it easier for, for uh, such initiatives to, to be supported. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and uh, look at what are the possible common denominators in terms of core learning that should be happening across organization and independent of the types and sizes. Is there something like that that we should be investing in as, as a typical organization? So please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. 
Welcome back. So, Linda, when we go about looking at learning across organizations and different companies have different needs, so they uh, do make their initiatives a little more customized to their, their needs. But is there a common denominator that you can identify across the board so that that's the bare bones anyone and everyone should be accommodating in their uh, enterprise learning initiatives? Well, a critical type of knowledge that all organizations need to acquire is uh, or has been termed transactive knowledge. Uh, this was developed uh, by a psychologist named Daniel Wagger, and basically it refers to knowledge of who knows what in an organization. So my colleagues uh, have done several studies on this, Dick Moreland and Diane Liang, looking at this in work groups. So groups that have a well-developed transactive memory perform better than those that don't. Uh, they're better able to assign the right person to the right task, which improves quality. Uh, team members know who to go to if they have a question, uh, which saves time. Uh, people have found the benefits of transactive memory in diverse settings like hospitals, uh, software development firms, and consulting firms. Uh, this kind of transactive knowledge of who knows what is critical to performance. Uh, it can be built in organizations through both IT systems that provide pointers to who knows what through uh, directories or yellow pages and the like, or it can also be built uh, socially or interpersonally through meetings and conferences where people have a chance to interact and discuss their work. Now, with respect to who knows what, do you think one is the, the, the element that, okay, this person knows how to do this, but what's the qualitative side of it? Do they know it that well, like, you know, as, of, as if you were doing a performance benchmark? on the level of learning or transactive uh, learning that they've already had and the knowledge they already have? Because you could go to two people who might have the same knowledge, but one person would have the understanding of the nuances more than the other. Do you think you can capture that? Right. So IT systems are doing uh, some very interesting work on how to capture that by, for example, looking at uh, not just who says they're expert in what, because as you point out, sometimes people claim expertise in areas they don't really have or don't have as good as they think they might. Uh, but in IT systems, you can look at both who goes to whom to ask questions and who answers questions and build uh, more objective, if you will, senses of who has expertise through those systems. Um, the other way, of course, again, I'm, a lot of these approaches to organizational learning have both a technological or IT component and then a more interpersonal or social component. And the interpersonal or social you build with experience working together when people learn then that, oh, maybe Joe says they're an expert, but they're not really delivering as much as uh, Harry, who is perhaps more modest but seems to have a lot more expertise. Those kind of differences come out pretty quickly when people work together. Now, Gus, what's your directive in terms of what's the, the max, minimum that has to be incorporated in terms of your learning initiatives for the organization to thrive? Well, I think that uh, if we were to identify some of the core learning that all organizations must invest in, in addition to the transactive knowledge or what I would call the, the technical training in support of the mission and the leadership development or management training that most organizations have, I think there's, there's three areas that I would um, r recommend organizations to have, either as isolated uh, learning events or uh, social learning or uh, embedded into whatever learning uh, structured events they do, 
and, and that is uh, relationship building and networking. Uh, that would be my number one. Uh, more so in the areas of diversity and inclusion, and uh, from a, a more a less uh, tactical um, project management and negotiation skills. Now, these can be taught in isolation as courses or in the context of what people do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, w- one of the um, social learning events that we have here at, at GAO is uh, communities of practice and communities of discourse, and that is supported by technology. Uh, we use virtual classroom technology through Adobe Connect uh, and WebEx, and we also do uh, wikis. And there's been a, a significant growth in those two areas uh, and that it's, it's a little hard to contain because it's demand-driven. And I, the one thing that I've been noticing is that we are not there yet in quite, in, in, in terms of, uh, quite there in terms of developing the standards for the adoption of things like uh, Yammer and um, you know, the, the technology that supports that. Wiki is, is another good example of uh, technology that is over, overtaking the, the organization by storm. Now, one is the area where who knows what, Linda, which you mentioned. Another is to also know what do they know and even capture that because what you don't want is a whole lot of learning happening and we invest a whole lot and it's in people's head and then sometimes it is misused or abused for that matter where people are, are keeping it to themselves and it is not getting shared. And, of course, if somebody walks away for whatever reason, then organization is the one which which loses in the whole proposition. So what what is it what is it done to what are organizations supposed to be doing to capture what they know to the nth degree as the learning is happening and that is captured so that there is a continuity of the organization and it's not people dependent while you are dependent on people for most things that you do but you're not truly dependent or somebody holding you hostage and you always have that cross train to somebody else and it's also captured electronically. Right. I think we're seeing organizations take um, a multi-pronged approach to that. On the one hand, uh, databases, knowledge repositories, which have been popular since the, oh, I would say they became popular in the 1990s. They certainly were used in various forms before then. Uh, but what we're seeing now is a new era, and Gus mentioned that with uh, technologies that instead of just capturing knowledge, technologies uh, that connect people. So uh, Frank D'Souza from Cognizant, one of our graduates, was here recently talking about their knowledge management system, uh, which is based on Web 2.0, which has document repositories, but it also has forums, wikis, blogs, where people can post questions and get answers that way. So someone in New Jersey might post a question and it's answered by someone in India. So that enables the organization to leverage their knowledge on a global scale uh, and also makes it more resistant to turnover because you uh, either have the knowledge in the repository so can access it that way or you can access other experts that uh, could answer your question. Now, if you put a tool or technology together and they will come, that has not been the reality for most organizations. And there have been companies who have successfully used the traditional old legacy technologies to exchange information and, and capture it. And even then there are new ones who have put on a lot of investment but still are not able to get people to really start sharing and putting the repository centrally. So, Gus, what is the underlying reason for that success and or failure? Well, we have been using uh, email 
and uh, mobile technology to share information, and we're trying to move more and more to imparting learning in a just-in-time, just-enough, and just-in-place approach. Um, the the old technology has always been successful. It's been successful because of the uh, immediate need that that covered. But as the uh, organizations evolve uh, and move more towards social media, I think that technology is going to be relegated to a um, lesser plane of importance, and whereas the other ones are going to be taken over. Uh, I, th- I see the the, uh, the growth in social media to um, you know to take over learning at some point. Now, one is to, of course, capture most of the information and even to the degree where we say what they know. What's the shelf life of learning given the pace at which we are all moving? Linda? Well, I would argue that learning is important more now than ever because of the sort of changes you've talked about, the continual changes in people, processes, and technology. Um, Other organizations can hire your people away. They can reverse engineer your products, but it's that ability to keep learning and keep adapting and keep changing that's going to make you more successful than the competition. No, that is true. What you just mentioned is true. What I'm referring to is the shelf life of the very knowledge that they acquired because the knowledge of how something works and and to, to and even knowing the nuance, even that would change. So that particular learning is no longer relevant. You could have blobs of data sitting in an information system, but that's that's worthless. So, you know, what's that time frame within which learning should occur and by when we should already be preparing for a new type of learning because the older learning would not be relevant, relevant anymore? Well, I think that uh, learning is not an object with an, with an expiration date. I see it more as a process of continuously acquiring knowledge, turning that knowledge into wisdom within the context of what the organization needs to do. Uh, I also see a responsibility in leadership to provide the tools and the processes to make sure that there's uh, adequate um, availability of information at the time that is needed and knowledge at the time that is needed. Let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back. And let's look at where all are things not happening the way they should be and where all are the leakages, which is where you could have had learning which was never saved and or shared or the very learning was faulty where things were misinterpreted and that's what got shared with the rest of the world and of course it caused damage. Sometimes you recognize that damage, sometimes it even falls through the cracks so you don't even know what leakage and where leakage happened. Please stay tuned, we'll be right back and explore. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. 
We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Linda, one is, of course, you're working very hard to do the things the right way. What do you think are the areas where organizations fail to recognize the leakages? Well, Sanjog, I think one of the leakages we've already touched on is, is member turnover, where people leave uh, and can take their knowledge with them. Uh, and we've talked about tools and uh, routines as a way of trying to buffer the organization from those departures. Um, the other one I wanted to bring to our attention, though, is this concept of tacit knowledge, uh, knowledge that's hard to articulate but is critical to the success of a firm. Uh, we've known for a long time that physical tasks, such as uh, riding a bike or welding, to take an organizational example, uh, have a tacit component. Uh, as people learn to do it, they learn things that are hard to articulate. Um, you, you probably experience that if you try to teach a child how to ride a bike or someone to do a, a task that's become automatic for you, uh, it's hard to convey in words how to do it. But there's some exciting research coming out suggesting there's a tacit component to mental tasks as well. Uh, this makes it hard to tell people what to do. Uh, so the best way to pass on the knowledge is through apprenticeships where people can observe experts. Uh, we see this, for example, in areas like medicine where interns and residents work side-by-side experienced surgeons to learn how to perform surgery. Uh, tacit knowledge, I think, is also one of the reasons why we're seeing social media become um, more important and more effective. The older line forms of knowledge repository were good at capturing explicit knowledge but weren't good at capturing tacit knowledge, whereas the new social media, by facilitating connections between people, can facilitate the sort of interactions that uh, can lead to the transfer of tacit knowledge, which is often very important in organizations uh, and missed by older generations of technology. Now, now Gus, in your uh, view, when we are putting all these tools, and of course new tools are allowing or facilitating learning, but the underlying uh, motivation or somehow the way a person shares or understands something is still a, a human effort. It's not controlled by a computer. So you cannot really, uh, um, you know, finger point, point, point finger at a specific area where you, the problems might occur. So coming back to the type of leakages, suppose there is a situation where you took a number of people to a training and they found something that is useful for somebody else. Uh, or they were busy texting on the phone and they forgot to listen to the, the, the instructor and thus the learning was never captured. 
right. or never shared. And and there are other things when somebody misinterprets because they were you know they they were distracted, so they did not understand the concept fully, but they somehow felt confident that they understand it, and then they can be the wrong. Uh, learning or share the wrong learning with the rest of the world, which has got its own ripple effects. So right. these these things are. Uh, I'm not sure if 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 people do it voluntarily and or they they have a malintent, but these things do happen. So can is there a way to control this? I think there's the responsibility of the learning organization to provide the context for this type of exchange to happen. And going back to Linda's uh, concept of tacit knowledge, that is something that's very present in our, in our environment. We see a lot of uh, uh, government employees retiring right now, and they walk away with a lot of tacit knowledge that is very hard to capture in the traditional sense. Um, I've already mentioned communities of practice and communities of discourse where people from different areas get together to discuss in an informal way, um, you know, share knowledge and share information and best practices. One of the uh, things that we have implemented here at GAO is the concept of adjunct faculty, which is volunteers from the different uh, lines of uh, audit business uh, come to the learning center and teach the classes for which they're experts at. And we have over 300 um, volunteers that do that day in and day out. Now, when those folks go back to their respective uh, works of uh, work areas, they don't stop teaching. They continue teaching, and then we take on the apprenticeship model. We've been trying to put a lot more structure around the apprenticeship model that is used for our auditors. Um, there's a very structured uh, learning curriculum that they go through when they come in as auditors, when they're hired, but we, we, are, we see that more than 50% of the learning happens in an apprenticeship mode, in an informal way. And we have, on, we have a, a little ongoing joke here that there's so much that you can capture in, in, an, uh, in a search engine uh, like Google uh, as far as information, but we rely more on carbon-based inferential engines, which are our people that walk around and you know, they can retire and take away that knowledge or share that knowledge while they're here. So, uh, Linda, t- let's talk about the impact of learning at different levels. So suppose you ask, say, a programmer or someone who is a business analyst. We can send them to training. Perhaps the folks like Gus can actually control the environment in which the learning happens so they get most out of it. But as you move up uh, in terms of the chain of command and you've got, say, a manager or a director or a vice president going and, and it, they might have learning needs, but then not sure to what degree is the learning organization within the major, the Uber organization, is able to control the environment in which those people learn. And frankly, the learning that is happening at the top level has far more impact overall to the organization compared to somebody who's a programmer or a business analyst. So so is, is that a flaw in the whole system or there is something that has been worked on to make sure that learning, whenever it happens across the organization or along the chain of command, every time there is an overarching control uh, created or a framework created by uh, the learning uh, department, if you will? Right. So I think as you move up the organization, uh, your job increasingly becomes more external, so you're less focusing on internal operations, but more worried about strategic issues, where the organization is positioned in the uh, competitive environment, whether it's doing the right product, delivering the right service, etc. So the learning needs there would change to be more uh, externally focused, 
uh, internal is still important, but there's another layer to add in terms of uh, external knowledge about what the competition's doing, what changing business environments. I mean, we can't predict totally, but we, well, some might say we can't predict very well. That that varies a lot across industry. Uh, but we can do some things to look at what's happening in the broader environment in which the organization or the group exists, and those become um, especially relevant for managers, learning about those, having access to information about that. So do you think we can have these people at the top also start following kind of rules that are perhaps laid out by CLOs like Gus? Gus, what do you think? Do you think you can tell your top guys to to listen to how learning should happen and give them a framework and expect them to follow it? I, I think it goes back to the how, how learning is embedded into the culture of the organization. If it's something that is considered critical, uh, they will support learning at all levels. Uh, I agree with Linda that as the higher you go in the chain of command, the more informal the learning happens, the more strategic in nature. So one of the things that um, you know I make sure that people have is enough resources to go out to conferences to stay uh, abreast of uh, developments in their field and also to be able to interact externally with other organizations and agencies where they can learn. So it's providing that context in which learning can happen. Uh, that is responsibility of the CLO at the higher levels. Uh, of course, we also have uh, a, a pipeline of uh, you know of people that are uh, being um, first of all competitively selected and then um, groomed to become the next layer of uh, leadership. And, and for those, we have a much more structured uh, learning curriculum through our uh, executive um, uh, development program. So, Gus, in your experience, what has triggered, you know, in your different organizations that you work with, what triggers motivation and excitement about learning in an individual? Well, it's not money and it's not food, <laughs> as is the popular belief. Uh, the motivation in, in coming to learning or participating in learning events is uh, how that learning ties to what the individual's experiences and what they do on a day-to-day basis. And farther down, how that enhances their career and, you know, ultimately how that contributes to the mission of the organization, which has a, um, a boomerang effect on their career and their, um, you know, progress in, the, in, the, in their organization. So um, uh, overall motivation has been, um, you know, what's in it for me and what's in it for the organization. But it's something that has to be, again, embedded in the culture and supported by leadership. Yeah, I could give an example that reinforced Gus's point about um, the what's in it for me and how's it going to help my organization be more effective. Uh, a student told it in class last semester, Greg Wozniak, here at the Tepper School of Business. Uh, when he started out as an engineer, he said he didn't have much um, appreciation for org learning and knowledge management. Uh, but one day he was on a rig, miles from anyone else, uh, had a problem uh, couldn't solve it, got on the knowledge management system, found a solution to it there, which saved him many dollars, much time, uh, made him a hero in the, uh, the eyes of his uh, supervisors. So seeing that there's direct benefit for the individual helps um, increase the, uh, the reliance on these organizational learning and knowledge management systems, also seeing benefits for the organization. If there's a problem, and you can solve it by consulting a system or using an organizational learning process. The organization solves a problem that's incredibly reinforcing. 
No, this is yes, this is very very relevant and very pertinent point that you both have made with respect to some success stories or some examples, which makes people feel, hey, I should also jump in, and I'm sure water is going to be warm, and I'm going to enjoy the growth that I'm going to get. But now, what about the organizations who have not been able to get to that level of maturity, and the DNA of the organization is not fully cooked yet to to foster learning? Where do these organizations start? to start building that DNA because they don't have a case study. Somebody coming from outside could be just seen as someone who's preaching versus somebody internalizing it and making sure that learning is a priority for each individual there. So, Gus, how would you start if you went to an organization where DNA was not there? Well, you start with a CLO that has the organizational clout to make the traditional business uh, strategies understand what uh, learning can do to the organization. Uh, if that's not already understood in different areas. Um, the next thing would be to, to make sure that there's a tie-in of the learning objectives to the, to the mission objectives so that everyone can trace the value of learning for that organization and for those individuals that are part of that organization as well. So that's where I would start. And as progress is being made towards that goal, tying the learning to the strategic objectives, then through a change management process, try to get the rest of the organization in line with, with, that, with that approach. Um, you know, the change manager, I think, is, a, is an important component because learning, if you see learning as evolution as, or a means towards evolving the organization from point A to point B, I think that uh, leadership has to manage that change process so that there's a creative deconstruction of the old way of thinking and a creative, or co- creative innovative construction of the new uh, people skills, processes, and technology that is required for the, um, for the new order of business to succeed. So with that, uh, that key phrase that you used, Gus, change management, Linda, the question here is, when you are starting out, who holds the torch and or baton to get that change going when they do not know what the end result is going to be? I mean, somebody can promise you the moon and they have any, enough things on their plate already. So would, would somebody like to start making specific efforts to change the DNA in order for learning to become that uh, valuable. And who, who in the organization should be taking responsibility? Will you just basically hire a fellow and expect that person who's coming new into the organization to bring about the change? Well, I would agree with Gus that you have to have support at a high level to affect these sorts of changes. So ideally have the CEO, uh, C-level staff and employees behind the change, uh, the specifics of it, you will need to get involvement from all levels. But if it's going to work, if it's going to have any lasting impact, you need to have uh, top-level support. Um, consultants can be very valuable in showing what other organizations have done, showing uh, evidence from other organizations that it worked. Uh, often the organizations that are most motivated to change are ones that have had a problem and then are willing to realize that they need to change how they do business, that their performance has fallen relative to their aspirations, um, those organizations are often the ones that are most ready for change and most willing to be open to change. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and look at uh, basically an inventory in terms of where all IT uh, can help. Yes, we spoke about the tools, but can it encourage learning? Can it become a driver? 
besides just being a tool provider. So what all places can do, and frankly, they're the ones who could benefit the most because among all the different departments, IT could be a top contender in terms of the changes that are happening and the needs for learning that are increasing from on a daily basis. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Gus, question could be is that do you think IT can play a key role and help drive learning in an organization besides, of course, providing tool? Can it really be the torchbearer? I think IT can definitely be an enabler of learning in an organization, and there's a couple of caveats to that. Uh, IT has traditionally been concentrating more on the T part of IT than the I part, uh, and I think that the information systems integration, I think where it's, it's where the um, IT community should concentrate in order to make enterprise learning a, a reality. Uh, right now we have a lot of isolated tools or islands of automation in different areas of learning. Uh, those tools need to be integrated. Uh, IT, I think, is, a unique, is in a unique situation because, as uh, Peter Sengeri predicates the learning organization on a systems approach or an organizational ecosystem, uh, I think they have that uh, in, in their DNA, IT, to work with systems, and that can be uh, taught to the rest of the organization and, uh, and m- making sure that the, there's a um, systems integration approach to information regarding learning as opposed to just concentrating in the commercial off-the-shelf product and trying to plug it in. Uh, the architecture work that most IT organizations uh, 
implement uh, is a good foundation on which to plug in the new technology that will enhance uh, learning opportunities within agencies and organizations. Now, what do you think is the baseline that we must establish in order for us to you know, live up our professional lives and, and help organizational grow, which would become the basis of what type of learning that should occur and how learning is going to be morphed going forward? Linda. Well, I think, as Gus said, IT is an enabler or some people talk about how it affords opportunities. Uh, two of the big opportunities I see that are uh, gaining momentum now are one in the whole uh, data mining area. You know, in the old days, that used to be uh, viewed as, as a no-no to mine data because the fear was you would come up with something that was uh, just uh, by chance and not a, a true finding. But I think people have gotten much more sophisticated at data mining and can mine data to, uh, as you said, Sanjog, to probe the environment, to find out about how customers are responding to their product to find out uh, things in faster time that had been uh, possible in the past. And I think IT helps providing that array of data. Uh, I think the other thing that IT is doing now uh, is providing the social connections, whether it's through forums or blogs where people can ask questions and get answers. That's uh, providing both knowledge to people and then it's providing social connections that people know who to go to in the future if they have a question. So those kinds of uh, knowledge management systems seem to be providing much more value than the older form knowledge repository, which as you alluded to, the information in them can become out of date quickly. Um, those systems often have main value by providing pointers to who did the project or who had expertise in an area that, that people can follow up with rather than the um, content of the information per se. Now, what do you think, uh, Gus, is where we are going with respect to the organizational learning as a whole? Because, of course, you know, you, you are the top person who's handling learning organization. So you must be thinking, say, five years from now, what is it that my role is going to be and what am I going to do differently with my crew to help organizations which I work with to get to the next level? Right. Well, you already alluded to the flood of technology that is inundating uh, organizations, whether they want it or not. Uh, I think IT has a, a responsibility to working with the rest of the organization in concert to um, standardize, put the policies and procedures in place to make sure that that technology is utilized. If that's in place, then I think a, um, a controlled growth of how technology is being applied uh, not like the situation I hear happens today where uh, a, new, a new toy comes up and then people adopt it to see if it works or not, and then we have total, total chaos. Um, I also see a movement towards more organizational learning, and by that I mean learning that is transformational to the organization as opposed to the traditional individual learning and training uh, of, the, of, of the skill knowledge and skill knowledge and abilities. That will continue to be the case for many technical-type jobs, but... Uh, if we talk about leadership, if we talk about diversity, if we talk about inclusion in the workforce, workforce uh, re building relationships, uh, uh, people being better at teaming, both uh, leading teams and being team members, I think that all of that is going to be critical uh, looking forward at organizations, both you know, leadership and organizational learning. 
Linda, what would your appeal be to the the organizations and the management and the people within them in order to be able to make the most out of the learning, the very, very discipline of learning? So I would appeal to them to take a uh, multiplex approach, if you will, to uh, not try to do it all through technology, but to uh, use technology where it's appropriate for the reasons we've discussed, but also to building the social connections in the organizations, uh, the apprenticeships, the networking opportunities, the meetings and conferences for sharing information. Um, those two work together. Often you might meet someone at a conference, and then when you see a posting of them of a question on a forum, you're more likely to answer it because you already know the person and know where they're coming from and what, what they mean by the question. So these two social interpersonal mechanisms of learning are as important as the technology, and we want to use them together to effectively um, move organizations forward. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I really thank you, Gus and Linda, for sharing your thoughts uh, on how learning can, in, in fact, drive enterprise performance. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Sanjo and uh, Linda. I enjoy this time with you. Thank you, Gus and Sanjo. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much again. Now, listeners, if you have any questions or thoughts, please send us to views at ciotalkradio.com. That is views at ciotalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on 